0: Let's jump in and let's let's start talking through this passage in Ephesians that Pastor Matt just read for us. Um, I'm going to say at the the onset, one of the things that I I shared with Matt a couple times is in in my past, uh, learning Scripture and reading this passage, I always looked at this passage of Ephesians more through a negative lens. Um, than I think God intended and, and what Paul was intending. And, and here's why. I just want to say, because we start getting into Ephesians and we start reading about things like, you know, don't be lying, don't be stealing, don't be doing this. And then you get into, you know, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church. And, and you get into all these things, the rest of Ephesians. And a lot of times I would read all that and I'd be like, oh man, I suck. Right? Like that, That's how I would always read a lot of Ephesians, especially, you know, when you get here to chapter 4 and you move on. Um, as I've grown in my understanding and, and became a little more clear of what God is saying through Paul... I, I just want you to understand something. I'm not going to, hopefully, as we talk this morning, I'm not going to get up here and, and have a bunch of, you need to do it this way and this way and this way, and you just kind of walk out of here going, all right, we're getting into that, that stuff of, of where I struggle or where, you know, this is the difficulties or the hardships of being a Christian. Because here's the thing about chapter four on. Even last week when we talk about maturity, right? Uh, it's an amazing passage talking about the maturity that we're supposed to have in the church. But even then... You know, I hear those words sometimes. It's like, man, can we ever get it right? I mean, not us per se, but I just think about my entire life in the church. I was like, I would never really seen this before. Here's the thing. Chapter four of Ephesians on. We can't read and understand four, five, and six of Ephesians unless you're understanding it through the lens of chapters one, two, and three. Right? The, the issue is that sometimes we can jump into the middle and we start reading these things without understanding what has been said before all of it. And the reason Paul took three chapters to get us to understand the amazing things that God has done for us, right? That, that's the context I want us to have as we go into this. Paul begins the letter to Ephesians, to Ephesus, and he says, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Right? That, that's the foundational statement he begins the, the, the book with, the letter with. And when we get to 4, 5, and 6, he's actually trying to get us to open our eyes to see how awesome these blessings are by letting us see the negative things that actually pull us away from it. That's what, that's what he's trying to do. He's not being negative to show how bad we're getting it. He's saying, listen, I want you to see all these things that are trying to pull you away from these amazing blessings that God the Father has given you through Jesus Christ. So we have to understand four, five, and six through the lens of one, two, and three. And last week, Pastor Matt went through the first part of four and, and this beautiful picture of the unity in the church and the maturity that we're called to as individuals and as a church. And it's, it's amazing to to hear what he talks about, about not being tossed back and forth and, and, and being firm and established in our faith and being united together because we're all one body, one faith, and one spirit, and one Lord, and all of these things. And then he ends it with this very interesting statement. He ends all of that talking about church unity and talking about maturity, and he says, as each part does their work. That's how Paul ends it. He's like, listen, this maturity is possible. This unity is possible as each part does their work. Here's the thing as we begin this, because that's what we're going to start getting into now is Paul's going to start talking about the work that we're called to do. He's going to start getting into some of the stuff to say, hey, okay, I've just got done telling you all the work that God the Father has done. That's what 1, 2, and 3 is about. He's like, listen, Jesus has done his part. The Father has done his part. The Spirit of God has done his part. They've all done their work. Now, let's start talking about what we need to step up and do. How do we yield ourselves to the work that God has done? All right. And so that's where we're starting to get into this, as he's saying, when he makes this transition, and then he says, now I say this, and I testify to this. This is how he starts. He says, I testify to this, that in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Right? That's how he starts this. That's the work that we're called to do. God is telling us, listen, Christian, we are called to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, this isn't a, uh, you know, Paul's not all of a sudden getting negative towards Gentiles again. Remember, some of the stuff he talked about was the unity between now Jew and Gentile. He's saying, listen, you know, You're no longer Jewish even. You're no longer Gentiles. You're a new man created by God through Jesus Christ to be a new being that's never been in existence before. So he's not going negative here again. But he's going back to something that he shared before. Remember, in the beginning of Ephesians, Paul starts saying things about Gentiles when he's talking about being far from God and near to God. And he's making this comparison. He says, listen, remember the Gentiles? they're alienated from the promises of God. They're alienated from the covenants of God. They don't know God. They are distant from God. He's laying this out and saying, that's the life that you used to have. But in Christ, you have been brought near. So he says that beautiful statement where he says, those that are far away and those that were near through Jesus, you have all gained access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Right, he's saying this is what has happened now through Jesus, is those that were far, those that were near, have been brought, in, brought into the presence. And what I love about this is, is Paul's not saying Gentiles are in a worse position than the Jews. He's saying, listen, the Jews, you guys might see yourself as closer to God because you had the Word of God and you were called the people of God, but the problem was you were st- still outside the presence of God. See, imagine that for a moment. And if you're a a Jew and you think you're better than everybody else, and Paul's basically saying, he's like, listen, don't look down on Gentiles because they're farther away. You're still outside the door. Doesn't matter if you're near the door or far from the door, you're still outside the door. But through Jesus, now both of you, those that were far away and those that are near, have now gained access to the Father. Right, so he's not going negative towards Gentiles here, but he's basically saying all of you, whether you're Jew or Gentile, stop living like those that are alienated from God. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, we should not live like those that are still outside the door. That's our responsibility. He says, because of everything Jesus has done, because of what God has done and brought us into the presence of Himself, because He has saved us, because He has filled us, because He has sealed us, because He has given us His Holy Spirit, our responsibility is to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's that's my responsibility. Because that's the life that He's called me to, to live a life worthy of the calling. Right? So, so this begins with Paul kind of laying out in, in this passage where he says, okay, don't live as the Gentiles do, and let me give you some reasons why. He kind of lists out some reasons why. He's like, listen, you know, this is from chapter 2. Remember I was saying this before. He's going back. He's saying they're separated from Christ. They're excluded from citizenship. They're foreigners to the covenant promises. They, they don't have hope. They don't have God. They're far. This is what Paul's saying. This is why we don't want to live like this. And then in chapter 4, he starts listing some of the reasons. He says, listen, don't live and walk as the Gentiles do because of the futility of their minds. If you look up, you know, basically what Paul's saying here, you look up the, the, uh, the meaning of the word, he's basically saying, listen, don't live in this uselessness, this worthless mentality, this thought process that they have. That's what he's basically saying. He's like, listen, the thought process of those that live alienated from God, it's worthless. It's useless. There's no value to it. It's not going to benefit us whatsoever. And because of this useless thinking that's in the world and this useless thinking that happens when we're alienated from God, it causes a darkening of our understanding. Paul's trying to paint a picture here. He's like, this is why you don't want to walk like this anymore. Because there's no value with it. Because not only if, you're, if your thinking is off, If your thinking is apart from God, then it's going to darken your understanding. And basically what the language is saying is, Paul's like, it's going to cause you to have a a breakdown in understanding morality. Right and wrong. Righteousness. Holiness. It's going to be darkened. There's no light. There's no revelation. There's no understanding of who God is and who you are. And the life that you're called to, this is what happens when we walk as the Gentiles do. And he goes even deeper. He says, listen, if your thinking's off and your understanding has been darkened, you're going to be alienated from the life of God. I mean, that right there should cause us to just pause for a moment and see the danger of what Paul is presenting here, that he's saying, listen, don't do this. Don't, God has redeemed you from this. Don't get sucked back into it, because we should not desire to be alienated from the life of God. And he ends it by painting this picture, and then he, he basically says there's a hardening of our hearts. You know... Um, I remember when, you know, when I was wrestling a lot with understanding who God was and who I am and and what it meant to be a follower of Christ. I remember a pastor saying something once that that scared me a little bit. And it still does today because he says, um, a lot of us don't like conviction. But he says, but one of the most dangerous places you can ever get in your life when it comes to you in a relationship with Jesus is when your heart becomes so hard, you no longer feel convicted. And it scared me because I, was, I, I felt that. Like this conviction of how much I just want to, you know, please him and, and, and know that I'm not causing him pain and all that because I was walking as the Gentiles do. And I only say that because it's, it's not to make us be like, you know, fearful in the sense, but man, there is something beautiful about having that tender heart before God that soft heart of flesh before God, and not a heart of stone. And this is what Paul's warning. He's saying, listen, this is why we don't want to walk as the Gentiles do. Now, hopefully this will make sense to us. You know, again, I told Matt, Matt asked me, he's just like, "Are are you excited about today? He's like, yep, I'm excited about today. I said, but I always get nervous whenever I have kind of like an illustration because it makes total sense in my head. Who knows if it's going to land with you all? Okay? But it makes sense in my head, and that's all that matters. This is the first thing I thought of about what it looks like to walk as the Gentiles do. I thought of funny money. I thought of monopoly money. Right? Here's the thing. Paul's trying to paint a picture here. And he's basically saying, listen. If we choose to live as the Gentiles do, from a worldly perspective, we might be pretty successful. We might look like we got it all together. We might look like everything's working for us and perfect. Like, here's the deal. If I was playing Monopoly right now and I had this stack, I'd be feeling pretty good. I love Monopoly. Um, The reason is, is because it's about domination. Right? Anything that you could just destroy somebody else is it's wonderful because isn't it awesome i mean nobody if you can't relate to this uh, i'll confess it you just got to love when you have the stack of 500s at the banks empty (laughs) and you're just like yeah i could buy or sell you right now it is the attitude right but here's the deal this only has value if i'm playing the game right has no value if I'm not playing the game. Like, I look pretty stupid going out to lunch today. <sighs> Honey, I'm taking you out. Here we go. Waitress comes. I was like, you did a good job, lady. Keep the change. She's going to look at me like, you the stupidest person i ever met in my life. Right? See, see this is the attitude is... is The the, Satan wants us to be tempted to think that the ways of the world are valuable to us, but they're not valuable to us We get this attitude like if i'm living like the gentiles, you know, that's the whole part of this, right? Our thinking gets off and our and our understanding gets darkened and all of a sudden we start getting pulled away from god And and our lives might be comfortable or we might enjoy the way it looks and we're thinking hey, this is what it's all about And 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 we kind of get this attitude towards it right? <laughs> see, see, the enemy's number one thing with us is he just, he, if he can get you distracted. See, a lot of times we think that the way he attacks us is he comes on full, full-fledged and we can see the danger of what he's doing. The number one thing is he just wants to attack us, and he wants us to chase after the things of the world because it's like, man, look at all that I got. It's like, I'm suc- This is great see, here's the thing. Again, it only has value if I'm playing the game. So I can walk like the Gentiles walk, but someday I'm going to stand before God. And my funny money ain't going to have much value. Because remember, Paul said, you're no longer Jew or Gentile. You're something new. You're not playing that game anymore. Right When we came to Christ, He took us out of the game. We don't play the world's game. We don't chase after the things the world chases after. We, we don't make it a priority. It doesn't matter. Now, now here's the thing: it's not that you know we can't enjoy things of this world, so don't walk away from me. You I'm like, oh, "Oh, fine, whatever you know." I, I was thinking about this actually yesterday. Um, we, we had a full day of, of running for our kids, right? Bold. Like we have to go, we're to that point we go separate directions now, right? I've heard some of you other parents talk about this. I used to sit there and go, why do you do that? Now I'm like, stupid? You're doing it, right? Separate directions. Two cars, right? Of course, it happens when gas is 350 that we have to take three trips to Cedar Rapids in one day. But anyways, here's the thing. I was thinking about this the other day, and, and here, I want my kids to experience as much as they can in life. I really do. I want them to enjoy the sports they're in. I want them to enjoy it. But I was thinking about this on my way home after one of the soccer games. And um, I was like, yeah, Lord, I want, my, I want my kids to enjoy as much as they can of this life. But man, don't ever let me get so distracted to forget that the most important thing is that they are ready to stand before you. Because if I miss that, all the rest of it is just funny money. It doesn't matter it really doesn't matter. It's so easy to get distracted about things that really don't matter. And that, that's what Paul's saying. And he, and he goes on in, in chapter 4, and he starts talking about, you know, if, if you look at this, this passage, he goes on, and he talks about that, you know, they become calloused. This is, this is verse 19. He says, they have become calloused after the hardening of their heart, and have given themselves up, up to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity here's the thing about this this draw and this distraction to pull us away from the blessings of what god has given remember chapters one through three are paul laying out what has been given to us in jesus and now he's saying don't get pulled back into the life that you've been saved from and he's saying here's the problem it's not an instant fall it's actually progressive I mean, this language talks as a progression. He's like, listen, they've become callous and they've been giving themselves up to sensuality. See, see, many times we think that the fall is going to be noticeable. The sad part is the fall or, or us being pulled away, the distractions, they're not noticeable. They're slow. It's really easy to start getting pulled away and to become calloused. And giving ourselves up to something else that looks valuable. It looks important. But it's not. And we become greedy and we start chasing after the things of the world. Actually, the Bible tells us that that love of the world is actually hatred towards God. Now, does that mean, again, that we're not called to live in the world? No. Does that mean we can't enjoy the beautiful things that God has given us in this life? No. No. But when they become my priority, I'm walking as the Gentiles do. I'm chasing funny money that has no value or worth. It's useless. So this is what Paul then says. He says, listen, he goes on in verse 20, he says, but that's not the way that you learned Christ. Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. We are told in verse 22 to put off your old self, which belongs to your former, uh, former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here, here's, here's what I want us to kind of understand with this is, we've spent our entire lives before Jesus chasing after funny money, right? Right? Whether you realize it or not, this this is is what we were doing before Jesus. Because we were the old self. This This is the life we lived. We didn't know any different. We chased after the things of the world and the pleasure of myself and the fulfillment of what I wanted and my wants and my desires. That's who I was before I came to Jesus. But Paul's saying, don't chase funny money. Chase some real money. Like, this is what Jesus offered. He's like, this has no value. But Jesus says, no, no, I got something better for you. Now, here's the deal. Before anybody sits there and goes, hey, there's a 100 there, there's 100 there. There's not 100s in here. Okay? I'm going to confess it. Right? Matt and I were joking about how I wanted to present it. At one point in time, we were actually talking about getting a briefcase. And having Matt come up with, like, a black suit on. And it, like, handcuffed to his, to his wrist. Right? Bodyguard. Okay? Um here's the deal. I robbed my daughter's savings (laughs) and took all of her ones because it carries a little bit more effect. Okay. But here's the deal. This is is how our thinking needs to change. You take an entire stack of funny money. This one dollar is still worth more than this. See, see, that's the change in thinking that Paul's saying. He's like, listen, the ways of the world, man, they're going to make you think that they are so valuable and so important and the ways of walking like you used to walk, but you need to change your thinking. The thinking is the smallest degree of what Jesus gives you is worth more than everything the world can give you. See, see that's the difference. That's the change in our thinking because what happens is, is I'm not doubting our salvation, but what happens is there's a part of us that's like, Yeah, but but look at the bigger stack. Like it's got more zeros. It feels better having all this stuff, and, and Paul's trying to say he's like, No, no, no. Put off the old self. Put on the new self because this is worthless. This is the only thing that has value. Now here's the beautiful part. Jesus just didn't give us a little bit. Remember, Paul started the book by saying, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ Jesus. Like, God didn't skimp in what he's given to us. God didn't hold back what he's provided to us. He's given an abundance. This is why Paul uses words like he lavished on us. Oh, I pray that you would know how wide and deep and vast is the love of God for you. He's like, he didn't just give you a little bit. He gave you everything. Everything that is Jesus's is now yours because you are co-heirs with Christ, changing our thinking. See, what God wants us to do is when Paul starts talking about the old self and the new self, and he's putting this out there, it's like, he's like, cast off the old self, take off the old self, and put on the new self. He's telling us to reject who we used to be, so that we can fully become who God has created us to be. And there's something really interesting with this that, that when, he, when he talks about this, he says, he's like, put off your old self that belongs to the former way of life. And he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Remember this started with Paul saying, as each part does its work, the work that you and I are called to do is we're called to reject a lot of the messed up thinking that we have rolling around in our heads. If you go back over the summer, one of the the sermons I preached over the summer, we were talking about strongholds, and we were talking about strongholds are lies and beliefs that are in our heads that we choose to follow. This is what we're called to do as Christians, is to to admit and to recognize that there are things in our minds, thought processes, and beliefs in our head that actually keep us from the fullness of what God has for us. And God has called us, our job is to chase after him and take his truth and replace those lies. Be renewed by the transforming of your minds. See, I think one of the reasons as Christians, I know I've struggled. I don't want to put this on anybody else, but the reason I've struggled so much in my Christianity is because I've spent most of my life thinking that to be a growing, maturing Christian was to change behavior on the outside. Right? I get the whole thing, inside change, all that, you know. But don't we normally focus on how we act outside? I mean, I know I do. I I think about this. This is like, Lord, I need to be more loving, so I'm going to act more loving. But inside, Lord, my thoughts are not going to be loving. You know? Lord, I'm going to act patient with my children. But inside, Lord, if they weren't mine, there are times. But here's the problem. When I focus just on how I behave on the outside, but I never deal with the problems in the inside, sooner or later, the inside is going to leak out. And guess what? That's when all of a sudden my unloving nature is going to come out. And my lack of patience is going to come out. And my snottiness is going to come out. And these things that are actually rolling around in my head are going to come out. Because you can't keep them inside all the time. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, take off the old self, put on the new self. It's not just a behavior thing. It's a thought process thing because if you change the inside, you let God transform the inside, man, you'd be surprised. That's all that's going to leak out. See, we've been fooled into thinking that Christianity is about conformity, Christianity is not about conformity. Conform to a a list of behaviors or a way you're supposed to act or the way you're supposed to be. And and that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about being transformed. And it starts with what goes on in here. And and, and that's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, you got to be willing to recognize we have a whole bunch of, of worthless thinking in our heads. But he's like, God has blessed you with so much more don't walk the way the Gentiles do. Reject it. Reject it. Be renewed by the spirit of your minds. You know, previously you saw that a lot of times our our attitude towards the ways of the world is celebration. Uh, What God wants us to do is, is, is this. So if you got that one, That's what God expects of us. He wants us to reject the ways of the world so that we can fully embrace the fullness of what he has for us. But here's what a lot of us Christians do. I'm guilty of this. I still do it today. In fact, yesterday I had a moment where God really challenged me with this. And I was like, man, Lord, I, I, I failed that one again. But it was amazing that just the grace he gives. He's like, okay, yeah, you did. But I'm showing you that you failed it so we can do something about it. But what we end up doing is a lot of us Christians try to spend our lives putting the two together. Well, we'll take a little bit of what God's got. We'll just take a whole lot of what the world's got. At least the 500s anyways. This will work. I'll do this. This is where scripture talks about what does light and darkness have to do with one another? What does wickedness and righteousness have to do with one another? See, and this is where the enemy gets us. Is he, he makes us think that it's appropriate to just mix it all together and say, it'll work, it'll work, I got this. Until we have that moment where we try to live on the funny money and it doesn't work the way we thought it was going to. But instead of blaming the funny money, we blame God. Wait a minute, God. You promised. You, you promised this wouldn't happen if I, if I put you first. Or why is this working? The this isn't tracking up. And those are those moments where God tries to show us. He's like, yeah, you're right. That, that isn't what I promised. I actually promised something else. But the issue is you didn't reject that old way of life. You can't blame me that your funny money didn't work. I mean, I've had those moments many times in my life. It's like, God, what's the, what's the deal? He's like, well, David, you're still trying to act like you're the old man. I didn't, I didn't transform you to be the old man. I made you to be the new man. I don't want you thinking that way. I want you to use the blessings that I've given you. I have bestowed upon you the fullness of who I am. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to experience. So unfortunately, many times we spend our lives trying to mix the ways of the world and the ways of God together, and then we're stressed and frustrated on why it's not working. And God looks at us, and, he, and, and He's not angry. He's, I think He's... Well, he talks about it here in a little bit, and I don't want to jump ahead, but he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, when I used to read that, I used to get really scared by that. Like, oh man, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Basically, I always read that as don't tick the Holy Spirit off. Right? That's how I read it again, right? Like, don't make him mad. Don't make the Holy Spirit mad. The word for grieve has nothing to do with anger. It has to do with sorrow. God's basically saying, don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit, meaning that God, as a loving father, when he sees us not living the fullness of what he has for us, he doesn't get angry with us. He's heartbroken for us. In the same way I am for my children, if I see them hurting or struggling, it grieves me. And this is what God does. He looks at us with these things and and he has sorrow for us because he's like, I never created you to mix the ways of the world with my ways. In fact, I want you to flip it, reject it. See it for what it is, it's destroying you. That's what Paul's trying to say, see it for what it is. The ways of the Gentiles, this futility of thinking, this hardening of the hearts, this darkening of understanding, it's destroying us recognize it for what it is. There's no value to it. But the world tries to tell us that it's the only thing that matters. And God's like, no, it grieves me when I see this. Paul then goes on and he starts going into some specifics. See, this is where it gets interesting because now he starts throwing out like actual things that we have to look at. He's not hitting everything. I don't think Paul sat there and said, well, this is all the issues that you have that you need to deal with. I think the Holy Spirit just started to convict Paul to say, hey, Paul, throw out some examples that show them what it's like to live as the Gentiles do, to live in this old way of thinking and how the world tries to tell us it's okay and show them that this is what the, these are the types of things that, that we need to reject, Because he goes on and he says, you have been created for true righteousness and holiness. Every spiritual blessing, that's what you are created for. That's what I'm created for. Therefore, he says, these are some of the things we need to make sure we're doing. Again, not exhaustive. It's not a full list. But he's highlighting some things for us. Simply this, he says, put away falsehoods. Let each one of you speak the truth to one another. He goes on, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't give the enemy a foothold. He says, those that are a thief, don't steal anymore, but rather do some work, honest work. He goes on, he says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up. And then he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing I want to point out just for a moment. Paul doesn't just tell us what not to do. He gives us insight into the beautiful life that exists when we reject the ways of the world and how we live and embrace the fullness of what God has for us. So notice this. He says, put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his, to his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Here's what Paul's saying. He's like, why do we speak truthfully to one another, especially in the church? Is because if I lie to you, I'm not just hurting you, I'm actually hurting me. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, change your thinking. He's like, change the thought process. It's not just about hurting you, it's hurting the body. It's kind of, think about it this way. If my Body parts could actually talk to one another. This would be the equivalent as I'm walking around. Well, actually, I'm gonna bring it up because Haley will chuckle. I like to walk around a lot, and during practice one night, I got about here, and my eyes did not tell my feet where I was, and I ended there. Didn't fall. I felt, but I was still foot, up, but I was there. Okay? Here's the equivalent. When we lie to one another, when we live a life of deceit in any way, especially in the body, you're not just hurting the person you're lying to, you're hurting yourself, because that would be the equivalent of me walking towards a cliff and my eyes telling my feet, dude, you're cool, keep going. You're cool, keep going. You're cool. And then we both fall over. Guess what? The feet with the eyes. They're both in the hole. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, don't speak lies to one another. Only truth. Because you're members of one body. You hurt yourself just as much as you hurt the other. Now, I don't want to focus a lot on lying, because some of us might say, well, I don't lie. We do. And I'm just going to throw it out here. One of the ways I lie all the time, and I'll put it out there, I lie all the time right? When people ask, how you doing? Good. It's a great day. Jesus is on the throne, right? That's not a lie, by the way, but right? we do it all the time. I'm not saying you have to spill your guts to everybody, but you know what happens in the church more often than not? We never share our joys with one another and we definitely never share our struggles. And we're not just hurting the people we're lying to, we're actually hurting ourselves. it's funny, when we were at the elder retreat, one of the things we did for a devotion, um, I, I don't like this question. I really don't. It, it comes from Wesley, John Wesley. One of the things he used to ask people, and, and when we did a devotion, I presented this to us as elders. This was his question. What's the condition of your soul today? Like, where are you at? What's the condition of your soul? And, and I remember being in other groups when this would be shared, and it, it's just, it's just, it's hilarious to hear it. I'm not saying people have to, like, it always has to be bad, but it, it intrigues me how blah the answers are, right? I'm just as guilty. How's it to to your school? It's good. It's good. Really? Really? You just, you're not struggling? And if you're not struggling, you're not, like, overjoyed with excitement? Like, It's just good. Here's the thing. If my Christianity is just the seeking of good, what's the point of that? It's good. No? My favorite answer, living the dream. Anyways. He goes on, he talks about anger, right? So he goes from how we speak to one another, how we relate to one another, and then he starts talking emotion. This isn't just about anger, but he uses anger as the example. He's saying, listen, don't let your emotions control you, right? You are you are bigger, you are not your emotions. Emotions are awesome. And here's the thing this is not saying anger's bad. Anger's not bad. Anger's not wrong. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Right? So, so this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, don't live like the Gentiles do and be controlled by your emotions. Don't be dragged along by wherever your emotions are taking you. Yes, feel them, know them, understand them, but you're in control of them because you're under the control and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, not your emotions. And he goes on and he says, listen, the reason you don't want to be controlled by your emotions is because don't give the enemy a foothold. There's the blessing, right? He's like, listen, reject this thinking that your emotions are the most valid thing. Reject that thing. We live in a world today that says, if you feel it, it's valid. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, I feel it. It doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean my emotion's right. I like gotta give you an example. Uh, she didn't get mad. I don't even know if she remembers this. So yesterday, we were at soccer. For some reason, I was in a mood, like just a split-second mood. And, and Amy said, <laughs> Sometimes if I say something snotty, she gets mad at me. This ain't about you; it's about me. Um, and 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 I'm like, crap, shouldn't have said that. Um, and I had to tell her that they made her buttons wrong, her soccer buttons wrong. <laughs> you know, see, um, we're on the soccer field, right? And I said, oh, by the way, they made your buttons wrong. I get whipped around, and I get what? And my response back is, why are you yelling at me? It was kind of snotty. I mean, I said it snotty. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, Because I was, my emotion was, don't yell at me. It's not my fault, right? Here's what I'm saying. I didn't need to really go with that emotion in that moment. Thankfully, God blessed us because I was waiting for her to be like, I'm done talking to you for the rest of the day. But she didn't. But we go with our emotions. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, reject this thinking that your emotions are the most important thing. Your emotions aren't. You know what the most important thing is? The truth of God. Don't give the enemy a foothold. When we're controlled by emotions, we're giving the enemy a foothold. He goes on, he says, listen, don't don't steal anymore, right? He tells us, don't be greedy and selfish. In fact, you need to contribute, contribute to the world don't just be a taker jesus said it's better to give than receive it's the mentality that we're always owed something we're we're entitled to something it's about what are you going to give me I want to as a church just for a moment because, again, thought process. How many of us woke up this morning, again, don't have to raise your hand, around, them, but how many of you woke up this morning saying, I can't wait to get to church because, man, I can't wait to see how God's going to use me to bless somebody today? How many of us, you know, think about that. Did you wake up with that this morning? See, see we come to church even when we, we gather And we come with this thing of, oh, let's go see what they have for me today, right? The mentality shift needs to change. And instead of us always focusing on what's going to be given to me, we need to start living our lives with, Lord, what can you use me to give to somebody else? Do you realize that one of the most significant things that most people are going to experience on a Sunday morning, and I just don't want to focus on Sunday, but realize this. Some of the most significant things that anybody will ever experience on a Sunday morning will have nothing to do with the sermon that happens up here. It potentially will be a conversation they have with you. A blessing you're going to give them. A way you're going to love on them. Stopping and saying, let me hear your heart. Let me pray for you. Let me just love on you. Do you realize even just Acknowledging a person that's been feeling lonely all week long can carry so much power and strength. When we come to church with that mentality, do you realize that if we started coming with that mentality and started seeing people in the church that we don't know and taking the time to say, I'm going to go introduce myself to them, might speak volumes to that person that makes them feel, I am welcomed here. I want to come back here. I want to learn about Jesus here because we ministered to somebody else. Paul's saying, don't take, figure out ways that you can give because when you do that, you're going to live with purpose and there's going to be fulfillment and you're actually going to be living the very heart of God. And then he goes on to cursing. See, I love this one. This is the one my parents always quoted at me. Not supposed to talk that way. I'll I'll be, I can... It's really easy to swear when you're used to swearing. This isn't just about swearing. It's not what we're talking about here. Paul's not just saying, hey, don't use dirty words. Paul's basically saying this. Every word that comes out of your mouth, no matter what it is, should be building up the people around you. And if it's not, don't say it. That's what Paul's saying. Don't let any worthless word come out of your mouth. Yes, Curse joking and, and things that we say and the way we make fun of people or the way we you know, drag people down. Yes, but he's like, listen, if it's not building others up, don't say it. What's the blessing of this one? Listen, isn't it amazing to realize that God has created you to be a person that the world sees as full of wisdom and a peacemaker and your words are actually the source of life for someone else. That's what, that's what God's created you to be. But the world wants you to live things that don't matter but god's saying i can use your very tongue your very mouth to be a source of life to everyone you come in contact with if we choose to change the way we think and see our lives with a whole lot more value and again he goes on he says don't grieve the holy spirit Again, don't see this as a negative, but he's saying, listen, God wants so much for you that it causes him sorrow when he sees us not living it. God's not angry when we get it wrong, his heart's broken. Go back to chapters one through three. That's not what I want for you. My heart is grieved because he hurts for the ones that he loves. And God's telling us that you are filled with the very person of God. A thing, a force can't grieve. The Holy Spirit is a person and his heart hurts for you. You ever thought about that this morning? Do you ever thought that God's heart hurts for you? Because that's how much he loves you. And he goes on, he says, about grieving the Holy Spirit until you've been sealed for the day of redemption. And when I read that, the first thing that went through my head was, man, God, you love me, and you're going to love me till the day you take me home. You're not going to give up on me. So all the times I mess up and I go after funny money, man, you're not giving up on me. That's what Paul's trying to say here. He's like, listen, get excited about the life that God has given to you. And he ends it all with, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He just sums it all up by again, just listing things like saying, this is not the life you're called to. Not in a negative judgmental way. He's like, listen, I don't want you to have bitterness and anger and wrath and malice, but if you find yourself full of that all the time, he's saying, quit chasing after funny money. Be renewed in the transforming of your mind. Because he forgave you and he brought you into this relationship. So As I close this part, and then Matt will come up and and he'll just give some closing thoughts, but as I close this part, this is my question for us this morning is, are you willing to start asking God, God, what are the parts of my life and my thinking that I need to be willing to flip the table on? Like, what's holding me back? Again, I'm not saying this to how dare we and how judgmental. You need to see it for what it is. Recognize it and reject it because it's holding you back. And God's saying, flip the table. Reject it. Transform your thinking. And embrace the fullness and the blessings that I have given to you in my son. Because this is yours. Now nobody take me up on that offer. This is not yours. But what he offers is, So I'm going to pray, and then I'll have Matt come and just kind of share some last thoughts. Gracious God, thank you so much for the amazing blessings that you give to us. Lord, I lose sight way too often, way too often of everything that you offer, and I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, I don't want to mix it. I don't want to water it down. I want the fullness of what you have. I pray that on all of us to get excited about this life that we have of righteousness and holiness and not see it as a negative in any way, but embrace it in the fullness of what it is. And it's the greatest gift you've ever given to us. You've bestowed upon us the very life of Jesus, and it's ours to take hold of. But fill us with the strength to flip the table, Lord. Give us the wisdom to flip the table and to reject the things holding us back. We give you praise. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, The last encouragement that I would give you is this, as Pastor David is sharing um, that truth about the fact that, you know what? It's not about our conformity, right? It's about this being transformed into something different through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us and that's sealed for the day of redemption, right? It's this reality that, that our Christian walk isn't about behaving better. It's about being different. Right? And, and and here's as he's talking about that, and I'm thinking about my own journey and my own striving to be different. I'm going to tell you this. From my pastoral perspective, the only way I know how to be transformed by the renewing of my mind through the power of the Holy Spirit is in community. I have tried to wake up every day and will myself through my power and to beg God through his power to, to just wake up every day and just will myself to be different, to be transformed. And it's never worked. The times in my life where I have been able to experience this renewing of my mind, this transformative power of the Holy Spirit, has been when I've been a part of community that's done it together. Um, and so, um, whether that's, I, I mean, like, like. We, if you don't know this, it's because you don't listen. So whether that's because I'm, I, I go to counseling and talk to Rob, right, and, 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 and he's able to challenge me and I'm able to grow in that way, or whether we're sitting in small group talking together and praying together, whatever it might be, these things happen best in community. So that's my encouragement for you. It's not about conformity. It's about transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit, and it happens best um, in relationship. So just want to pray a blessing on you, and, and uh, we'll, we'll go from here and, and work hard um, to live this out, the transforming of our minds and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, I pray a blessing. I pray that you'll bless us and keep us, that you'll make your face shine upon us, that you'll cause good um, for us. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.